Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to another chapter of the Book of Sean. It's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in. Got a great show for you tonight. My brother is here, Larry Lyons. He's an openly gay brother, but he's not always comfortable being who he is around certain people. I want to I know what's going on with that. I want to help him find the level of comfort he deserves so he can shine both in the light and in the darkness. Got some Ask Dr. Sean for you. Always got some headlines for you. Play the bumper highly. So did you hear the story about Peppa Lewis? Peppa Lewis was only 15 years old when she was a runaway seeking to escape the abusive life she had re- regrettably guarded with her adoptive mother. She was sleeping in hallways when a man took her in. And then, unfortunately, he allegedly began to rape her and traffic her to other men. Zachary Brooks is the name of that man, and there he is on the screen. And uh, one day after Brooks had allegedly raped Piper again, she grabbed a knife from the bedside or the bed, you know, the table near the bed and stabbed him in a fit of rage. Yes, Piper Lewis killed Zachary Brooks. Now, let me ask you a question. If you had, if you had essentially been raped and kidnapped and you ended up killing the person who raped and kidnapped you, do you feel like you should go to jail? When people end up injuring or killing the person who's robbing them, most of the time those people don't end up in jail. Because if you end up getting killed in the commission of a crime, what do you want us to do? You shouldn't have been committing a crime. But regrettably, Piper was arrested and charged with first-degree murder after she stabbed the man who allegedly raped her. And Piper was ultimately sentenced to five years of closely uh, supervised probation in order to pay $150,000 to the family of the man who raped her, allegedly. Does anybody have a problem with this? Why is Piper ordered to pay $150,000 to the family of the man who allegedly raped her? I'm just waiting for one of y'all to tell me how this makes sense. Because this don't make no sense to me. None. You raped me, and then I kill you for raping me? I pay your family? Your family should be paying me. Anyway, thankfully, a former teacher of Piper created a GoFundMe page to pay her restitution and fines and fees in less than 24 hours after the sentencing. The GoFundMe has raised $554,000, enough to pay her fee, enough to put some money in her pocket. That's what I'm talking about, okay? I'm thoroughly, I'm thoroughly in support of this teacher who did this, who raised enough money for Piper to have some money in her pocket because out of all the people you've heard about today, Piper deserves a blessing, don't you think? Homeless, sleeping in the hallway, allegedly raped, trafficked, she deserves a blessing. And thanks be to God, she's going to get one. You know, human beings can be some annoying creatures, but we can also be amazing when it comes down to it. This is one of those times where human beings were amazing. The teacher and all the people who gave money to Piper. That's the amazing part. All right, let's talk about water in Jackson, Mississippi. So after a month and a half of people in Mississippi, Jackson particularly, not having clean water and having to boil their water, The governor of the state of Mississippi, Tate Reeves, announced that clean water has been restored to the city. Yeah. Anybody believe that? (laughs) 
I'll be like, you, if you were living in Jackson, would you be rushing out to get some water from the faucet to drink it? I don't know the governor of the state of Mississippi, never met the man, never crossed paths with him, but if he is, now, now check this out. Here's what he said, because I want to make sure I get this right. He announced that clean water has been restored to the city with the caution, listen to this, with the caution that he can't guarantee that a similar situation won't happen in the very near future. I'll say it again. I don't know the governor of the state of Mississippi, never met the man, but what you just said is not reassuring. You can't tell me on the one hand the water is clean, but on the other hand, you don't know if this could happen tonight. Not very reassuring, people. I'm not a water treatment specialist. I've had no, I have no experience and expertise in environmental affairs. But somebody needs to explain to me why in the world there's only one water treatment plant for the city of Jackson and most cities. So shouldn't we have a backup plant? Shouldn't there at least be two? Anyway, apparently, you know, the state is trying to take over the water situation from the city of Jackson, Mississippi. And um, I got some thoughts about that. Jackson, Mississippi is a mostly black city run by black folks, black mayor, go down the line. The state wants to come in and take over the water, mostly not black people. I'm about to get racial, so just, you know, just put a seatbelt on. Now, I would much rather get my water from the black folks. I'm talking about Mississippi, by the way, Mississippi, with all of its history. I'd much rather get my water from the black folks who don't seem to be doing a grade A top job then let white folks come in and give me water, who for generations have been trying to poison me. I'm just saying. I take, I take a little bit of incompetence over poisoning any day. I'm not suggesting that the governor or the people officials will poison black people. I'm, but I'm just saying y'all got a history in Mississippi of not liking us. And don't act like you don't. Okay? You know you do. So to all the black folks living in Mississippi, here's my advice to you particularly in Jackson, boil your water. Get you some water out the bottle because I don't know what's going on. I don't, I, don't, I don't know who you can trust. All right, let's talk about Yeshiva University. Yeshiva University, people. So in New York, Yeshiva University announced that it would cancel all of its undergraduate activities or at least put them on hold days after the, losing a bid to have the U.S. Supreme Court block an order that requires the university to recognize LGBTQ student clubs. The Supreme Court, in the decision, it was five to four, denied the request from the university to block the lower court order, requiring it to recognize a pride LGBTQ student group. So this is it. Yeshiva, Yeshiva University, they're so bigoted and don't like gay people so much that they would rather cancel all undergraduate student activities than allow one LGBTQ organization on their campus. They, they'd rather get rid of basketball, tennis, chess, whatever it is. The Hebrew club, reading Hebrew. They'd rather get rid of all of that just so they don't have to deal with the indecency of acknowledging an LGBT2 club. You know how bigoted you have to be to want to get rid of everything so that you don't have to deal with something? Shiva University people. See, this is why people can't stand religion. You ever want to know why people can't stand religion? People can't stand religion because you mean to tell me that your God is so great and I should follow your God but on the other hand, your God is so petty that he hates gay people, right, and gives you permission to hate them. And now I should be a part of what you're doing because you serve a God that's so petty that he hates particular people and gives you all the liberty, all the license you need to hate them too. I'm going to pass on your God. I'm just saying. I'd rather, I'd rather serve little Nas X's God. Yeah, no, I, I would. Because any God, any God that is so petty that that God's going to hate specific people, 
and not be concerned about other specific people. I got a problem with that. Okay? Now, first of all, thank God there are Jewish people and Muslim people and Christian people who are not bigots, who are open-minded and loving and accepting of everybody, which is the point and purpose of religion. But uh, some of you religious people get on my nerves because you want me to believe that God hates homosexuality a lot more than he hates racism. I'm having a, I'm having a heat flash. <laughs> I'm going through male menopause. I'm just saying, y'all want, want me to believe that God hates homosexuality more than he hates racism? Because you can tell me that gay folks are going to hell, but you ain't never told me that, that racists were going to hell. I've, ne I've never been in one of these conservative situations where they got up and said that if you're a racist, you're going to hell. But they love saying if you're gay, you're going. So if you're gay, you're going to hell. But if you're a bigot and a racist and a, and a, and a misogynist, you ain't going to hell. There's no moral consequence for that. No, no, no. There's something wrong with your God. And now, and now, and now, and now, now you now you know why religious people, why young people rather are not religious. They don't want to deal with this. We'd rather cancel an entire array of undergraduate clubs just so you don't have to acknowledge the gay club. All right, I got one more for you. Ten-year-old David Hove was at home selling scones in front of his lawn in Toronto. When he took a little break to go to the bathroom and returned to his little stand, everything was stolen and gone. Luckily, the crime was captured on a security video, and it shows a man stopping in a white SUV, loading up his truck with all of David's merchandise, little David, and um, he stole all his stuff, all his scones, all his money, everything. Now, you guys just heard me talk about hell, right? I'm bringing it back up because there's a special place in hell for somebody who will steal from a child. Let the whole church say amen. Come on. There's a special place in hell for somebody who will take money and, and pastries from a kid. Anyway, nothing good is coming to somebody who hurts and steals from children. Nothing. You know why? Because you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. I don't know who stole from the little boy, but I promise you, you're going to reap some of what you just sowed right there. But let me say this. Thankfully, a lot of people heard what happened to little David and his little sister. In a matter of days, they received hundreds of orders for scones and encouraging messages from strangers. And even David was gifted an Xbox, which is why he was selling the scones in the first place. Somebody found out why he was selling and saving, and they bought him an Xbox. And I'm glad to hear that, just, that they're good people in the world. I need a story like this. Okay, I do. I need to know after we find out that people are, you know, raping people and selling people into slavery and... I need to know that there are good people in the world who will help little children make up the shortage and the difference in their life. I know it's hard to see the good sometimes. I know it's hard to feel the good sometimes, but I promise you it's there. Good things are happening, and there are still good people in the world. Don't you give up on the goodness, and don't you be so co-opted by the darkness that you can't see it anymore. Because what they meant for evil, somebody greater than David worked it for his good. I still believe that what self-centered men and women have torn down, men and women who are other-centered can and will build up again. Yeah, that's the beauty of life. And when self-centered people have torn things down, people who are other-centered can rebuild them again. The question is, which one are you? Are you self-centered or are you other-centered? Thank God that there were other-centered people willing and working to help little David get his merchandise back. And he got an Xbox out of it. Because just because somebody tries to hurt you or wound you or even kill you doesn't mean you have to die where they tried to do it. You can keep going. You have to keep going. You will keep going. Let's take this break. When we come back, my brother Larry is here. I want to talk about what's going on with him. What's going on with him in the fullness and the beauty of who and what he is. We'll be right back right after this. You know, Accepting yourself and coming to terms with who you are is a journey. It's not a moment. And sometimes we have to relive that experience and grow in those ways over and over again. 
And it could be anything about you, right? It could be something you've done, something you've not done, who you love. But all of us are on a journey to learn how to accept who and what we are a little better. My brother Larry is on that journey, and I can't wait to talk to him. Hey, Larry, how you doing, man? I'm great tonight. How are you? I am doing okay. So let's get into it. So you are openly gay and comfortable around most of the people in your life, but why not everyone? Honestly, um, I'm not even sure that openly gay honors the complex of, complexity of identity or sexuality. I, I, people who need information about you know one part of my life may, people in other parts of my life, it simply doesn't pertain. I guess where the discomfort lies for me is being forced into a box where folks are expecting um, or they feel like they are entitled to your coming out story or why didn't you tell me sooner or you had the secret. And the reality is that I, I don't think the onus is on queer folks to do the work of outing themselves or inviting everyone in um, that just happens, happens to be close or proximate. I agree with that. I thoroughly agree with that. I, I, think, I think coming out now is about power, not about identity. What, what are your thoughts about that? I feel like the, the domain of the sexual, the role that sexuality plays in our life is getting, we're, we're moving closer and closer to really respecting the complexity of that space. And so I'm, I'm happy that we're having more conversations about sex and sexuality. I just, I'm a little protective of queer folks because we are already living in a heteronormative, you know, society where we have to do all of this work of tending to our own spiritual and emotional needs without having this added social expectation of making uh, that that coming out story or our sexual identity altogether available at the drop of a dime just because it's National LGBT Awareness Month or coming out day. Yeah, yeah. But you did come out to your dad and he surprised you. What happened? The... It's a long story. It's a great story, though. Uh, my father emerges as the hero of the story, so I'm happy to tell it. Um, I was actually appearing um, on a radio program to discuss the Massachusetts state legislature's conversations about gay marriage back when that was uh, becoming legal, moving toward becoming legal. And so, you know, having been active in LGBT organizations on campus in my undergraduate career. Um, it didn't seem odd that I'd be invited to speak on a radio show about what that moment would mean, um, particularly for folks of faith um, who are also asking questions of sexuality. So I was like, you know, I'll agree to do it. And then when um, the show started and he said, much like you said tonight, he's an openly gay man living in New Jersey, I was like, wow, <laughs> I haven't had to identify that way publicly uh, before now, so let me check in with my parents. Um, so I was uh, able, I found the courage to make that call to my father, um, who is a, a military man, an officer, um, so very much a man's man, and, but also very loving and, and protective of his children. Hmm. And in that call, he showed me that his instincts as a protector and as an empath overpowered any other scripting that he might have gotten in the armed forces or in the church previously. And he just wanted me to know that I was loved. And I wish that everybody could have that experience that my father gifted me because unfortunately not enough of us do. Hmm. What did he say to you specifically? Um, he actually questioned, uh, asked more questions, which was really healthy. He, he said, I didn't think that it was still that bad um, you know, for, for gay folks, like now that Will and Grace is on television, you still think that it's that hard. And so we had to discuss why, you know, the, the lives of those characters didn't map onto uh, the reality that I was living or the reality of the folks, you know, that I knew. But the fact that he was, you know, curious enough to, to pose those as questions rather than be unsettled by in silence really opened up a, a pathway uh, for us to move forward. No, I love that. Tell me what his support meant to you. Like, what did it mean to have your dad embrace you in that way 
I think I've never, um, the, the novelty of having a father around was never lost on me when I was growing up. It felt like um, as a black male in America, there were certain ways that, you know, black fatherhood was pathologized, but uh, having a father who was in the military and on the army base, we, my earliest memories are in Germany. And so having my father out of the home um, was something uh, that I had to get used to. And so, but I, uh, the flip side of that is I never took his, his presence for granted. Hmm. Um, and, but, but when you feel like you have this secret that will create distance between you, um, even if he, even if you're both present, you're not both there. And so having his support in that moment meant that we could be really be present for each other um, in, in ways that I, I didn't think were possible. I, I had this image of my father as a larger than life figure in his compassion and his empathy in that moment made him uh, real and accessible to me in ways that uh, I wish everyone could enjoy. Mm. Your father is deceased, I heard. Yes, he did. Um, if he was here tonight, what would you say to him about what he did to you and for you, I should say? Oh, wow. Um, my father was an amazing man, and I don't know that I had as long as I wanted to to, to tell him um, how much of my life was spent in admiration of him. As a uh, slam poet in undergrad, I, you know, I wrote poems that helped me process um, his absence and his larger than life figure. And I think sometimes um, if he bore witness to that, it could feel like they were attacking and, and that I was critical of his parenting. Um, so I would want my father to know that despite um, uh, my ability to be critical and, and to, to ask difficult questions that I am deeply appreciative of the father he was throughout my life, but that I'm particularly uh, grateful that I got to share that precious part of me with him and that he received it warmly enough for me to be sharing the story with others because it's not what I anticipated and I know that I'm really fortunate. Give me a sentence. If he was here tonight, what would you say to him directly? Thank you for being the kind of man that challenged me to be better and showing me how empathy and, and being protective of the people that you love really looks on the ground. Hmm. Hmm. It's a beautiful sentence, but, but it came from your head too much for me. I see you smiling and agreeing, but why? My that, that tends to be a thing with me. I, <laughs> I do process quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. But let's, let's, try, let's try one from the heart. Just, just a sentence from the heart to him. Uh, I would tell my dad, I love you. I've always wanted to be like you, and your example is what I strive to emulate. Yeah. So I'll take that. I'll take that. I know, I know uh, the heart thing is not your... It's not your common practice. You were raised in a black church. Um, yes. How, how did the church make you feel about your sexuality? Um, I mean, you know, the black church is, is not a monolith and it wasn't in my experience. There, there were pastors and, and, and theologians who promoted really healthy uh, attitudes about sin and forgiveness and about uh, the body's capacity for pleasure. And then there were there were folks that 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 preached damnation and abnegation of the body. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to a church where the pastor had uh, leaned more on the loving kindness and, and forgiveness of God. Um, but that doesn't mean that there wasn't debate, even you know, within the pastoral staff and and you know, the the church body. So there there were some debates, but I I didn't have to deal with. Um, condemnation 100% of the time. I knew that there would be some reprieve at my church. So there was um, a mixed bag of sorts. Hmm. So, but on the whole, how did they make you feel? My, my church family made me feel like I was a part of a community, but that my sexuality made me a liability. Um, and that it, it got in the way of my service to God, that I, I, wouldn't, I wasn't truly, fully embraced um, the way I might be if I were straight. Wow.
Now that second answer was a better answer. Um, <laughs> and I say better because it, I think it highlights the, the common experience of same gender loving people with respect to religion. You heard me talk about Yeshiva University earlier, right? Willing to get rid of everything so they don't have to deal with this one thing. Um, you know, um, when did you become comfortable with who you were? It's a journey. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like hearing even on this show, like the words, like he's an out gay man, like there's still a part of me that uh, giggles and chuckles and squirms uh, to hear that. I mean, it, it's it's certainly taken me at least until my 30s to be comfortable with the way I say S's or comfortable with the way that my hand might hang um, if I'm not paying attention. So it's it's a journey. Uh, it's, a, it's something that I'm proud to have made strides in and be transparent about, but it's uh, I'm by no means saying that I'm fully, you know, comfortable in every space that I inhabit, you know, being the, the great queer out uh, black man. Well, yes. And, and, and first of all, you shouldn't have to be that, A. But B, um, I, what I mean by that is you shouldn't have to be all things to all people, right? You shouldn't have to represent every queer black man in the world. But, 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 but what I want to know is, was there a moment when you became more comfortable with who you are? Um, in, I was a student of black feminist theory in undergrad and reading the work of Bell Hooks and Audre Lorde uh, helped me realize that I wasn't taking issue with these structures in society because it served me, that there was a longer tradition of Black and queer folks wrestling with these issues to which I belong. And so finding my place within that lineage was what emboldened and empowered me to, to you know, be more forthright in the world. So you're saying it was books that did it? It wasn't? <laughs> it was saying? voices. The voices that I read in books, but the voices of, of the Black feminist tradition uh, and of the thinkers that I was around at the time, yeah. So I guess what I want to tap into, and then we're going to take a break, but are there people in your life that you're less comfortable with knowing, experiencing the part of you that's, that, that we might identify tonight as queer? Absolutely. Uh, I, I feel, I fear that, you know, age is a big issue. So uh, I, I have been deferential uh, to folks in my family around the age at which I disclose or in, invite anyone in around issues of sexuality. Um, the same on the other end of the spectrum, if folks are older and, um, you know, I am, I acknowledge, I, I acknowledge that folks have limitations that um, the prejudices, prejudices they and me have built up over the years. So if you're, basically it's a, a generational conversation, I think. Mm. So if you're young or older, you're less comfortable. It, I'm, I'm definitely more deferential, yes. Okay, okay, all right. Well, I'm gonna take this break. When we come back, I'm, here's, here's, I'm gonna ask you this question. What is the hardest part? What's the hardest part of having to sort of bifurcate and acquiesce um, and, and, and be you? What is the hardest part of that? Uh, let's take this break, we'll be right back right after this. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking to Larry about his journey, journey to acceptance and fullness and the power of who he is with respect to not just his sexuality, but the whole panoply of the whole spectrum that makes him unique and distinct. So, so I, I promised to ask you this question, so I'll ask it now. What's the hardest part? Um, excellent question. I, I honestly feel that timing is the hardest part knowing when is it necessary when you know when is the right time like you don't have that conversation with one person in your family and then you're done it, it's like you said a conversation that unfolds and evolves over time and i just want to respect the natural rhythms in in my circles and and have the conversation at the right time uh some relationships the individual will come to you and ask the others uh, there are other relationships where it might be best for you to um, make that that leap and make it more comfortable for the other person. And deciding the timing of that conversation is really the challenge. Hmm. That's interesting because I would have thought you would have said, 
Just the whole experience of having to do any of this is the hardest part. What do you have to say about that? It's difficult, but I've known for a long time that it would have, have to happen, right? Like I knew that there was a, a, a way that I was different that I might have to uh, discuss and unpack with other folks. Uh, it's, it's finding out at what point in your life that occasion is going to happen and uh, what's you know the appropriate posture to take in that moment. So I'm, I'm not surprised that I have to do it. I've lived in this society long enough to know what kinds of information um, folks insist upon having. The question is, now that uh, this, this particular relationship has evolved and matured to the point where it's appropriate, how, what are the mechanics of how it happens? Let me ask you a strange question. What's the best part of being gay? I, I would say queerness. Uh, queerness as a political category, the ability to um, recognize the normative structure, recognize the status quo and say, I am outside of that and that difference makes me happy. <laughs> it, it makes me valuable. Um, that's, what, that's what queerness does for me. Be, not, not having to be beholden to like binary structures of male and female roles and really having more freedom to construct uh, my erotic life and my social life in the way that serves me. It's a very uh, intellectual answer. <laughs> so a freer answer might be, it's, there's more freedom. Um, there are less structures that are t trying to shape how you present and, and, and what boxes you put yourself into. There's a freedom and queerness that feels better in the body. Okay, that was better. That was better, because I'm, I'm, try I'm trying to see what your pattern is. And it seems like your pattern is, yeah, you run up, you run up to your mind to protect you know, the rest of you. You protect yourself with language. If I said that, would that be true? Not only would it be true, it'd be verified by some uh, other experts in your field. Yes, that has been my pattern. Is I can intellectualize it. Tell me what you love about yourself. What do you love about yourself the most? I love my ability to tell stories. Honestly, I I like making people I care about laugh. I like using storytelling to shape history and and what we remember and how we create legacy. Um, and, and my creativity, like I think I can, you know, walk into an empty room and design a destination. I can take a blank piece of paper and, you know, create an emotional experience. So my creativity. Hmm. Interesting. Um, no, it's very interesting. I was listening on a, on a lower frequency to hear if you would allow that question to pull an answer out of you that actually relates to you, right? And not the presentation of you, which is what a lot of um, black people, queer people have to do, right? Mm -hmm. We're always presenting. Um, what do you wish you could say to your family? So if I had them all up here tonight and they were all sitting here and they were like, we want to hear whatever it is you have to say, what would you say to them? I mean, first of all, my family has heard a lot from me. <laughs> I don't think that anyone um, would would be shocked that I, uh, with with anything that I have to say, um, I, I would certainly want them to know that their support is valuable to me, and and that the way that they love on me has become a model for you know my friends and, and their families and the the church homes that we've had and, and the the other parishioners that we've touched like it's it's definitely been a model and so if i enjoy any um comfort it is owed to the the folks who have made it comfortable you know made it possible for me to be as forthcoming as i've been with them and, and the people that i care about so i i want them to know that they are contributing to, uh, by by supporting me. They are contributing to something bigger, and I hope that they they know that folks are watching. Hmm. Would you say thank you? Would you say 
I love you. Um, I would definitely express my gratitude. I would thank my family. I'm deeply grateful. Um, I don't miss opportunities to say thank you, but having them all together would be just the opportunity I need to thank all of them collectively. Okay, I'm just making sure. Just making sure. Um, <laughs> I'm grateful. I'm grateful. <laughs> what uh, what what keeps you going? Like, what keeps you moving forward? I am. I mean. Gratitude for one, I'm really grateful that I've gotten to experience what I have in my life. I feel like I'm one of the first generations to have the the space and the leisure to think, you know, about identity, to pursue a life of the mind, and and you know, to ask to 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 really get to the into the depths of who I am without having to, you know, dig ditches, you know, by day and 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 raise children by night. So I I am grateful for that and passing, uh, continuing the legacy is what moves me forward. Giving the next generation of my family a way to build upon the freedom that I enjoy and that my generation enjoys is what compels me forward. Who loves you the most? Me. (laughs) I am in love with Larry Lyons, Um, but uh, I definitely, uh, my, my, family unit is strong. My mom and my sisters are amazing uh, supporters. So that would definitely be the core, that and my chosen family. Here's my last question. What do you really want out of life? Like, what do you really want? I want to make a difference. I feel like I have a certain skill set. I've been gifted with certain talents, and I really want to manifest those in, in a way that changes the world and it doesn't have to be you know shifting a continent but i want to leave this earth having inspired folks to live in the fullness of who they are and and to be inspired by my family's legacy of making something from nothing that's a great answer actually that's a great answer i I think you're going to be all right i you know when you came on i thought you were described as someone who was not comfortable around certain people. But I experienced you tonight as being someone who, who is respectful of where other people are. Is that a better characterization? Yes, I, I absolutely was raised to respect um, not just my elders, but like the community. That was a big value that my parents instilled. And so I, I do, you know, find myself being deferential and, you know, sometimes because you know, we have a lot of work to do in, in Black spiritual communities, you know, healing from, you know, certain historical traumas. And, you know, I don't, I tread lightly out of respect, not out of shame. Yeah, no, that, that's that's my sense of you. I like that. I think it's, um, I don't think one is undermining, one position undermines the other. Being proud of who you are and also being respectful. I think they can work in tandem. And I think you teach us that tonight. Um, yeah, I know. I, I enjoyed this. Larry, you got to come back. Next time you come back, I'm going to make you talk from your heart, though, the whole show. <laughs> I'd be happy to come back as often as you'll have me. I, I promise. Thank you, sir. When we come back, I'm going to do a couple of aha moments from this. We'll right back right after this. I got a lot out of that conversation. He entered into the moment with me thinking one thing, but now I think something else. Play the bumper, highly. You know, sometimes people can interpret who you are based upon what they perceive you to be doing or not doing. And what I, what I learned from Larry tonight is that it's not that he's not comfortable about who he is. It's just that he's respectful of other people's journeys. Not everybody is as tolerant or as able or as mature enough to understand the information sometimes that you want to give them. And, so, and when that happens, the goal is to not force people into your world, but to sort of ease them into it. That's what I got from him. That each of us have a responsibility to make sure that we are allowing people the space and the time that they need to grow into what we need them to be. If you want people to grow, you've got to give them time to achieve it. Nobody's going to be what you want them to be overnight. It's going to take some time. And time is an okay thing to ask for or to require from people, or to require from yourself. To get from here to there, it's going to take time. 
I perceive him to be respectful of that, and I'm inviting all of us to be respectful of it too. Give the people in your life a little time to grow into what you want them to be. All right, that's my aha moment. Let's do some Ask Dr. Sean. Play the Papa Highly. You guys always send me great videos. Let's watch this one. Dr. Sean, this is Jason from Wisconsin. My partner and I have been dating for a while. They are now saying that they want children. Initially, we agreed about not having children. Do you think this will be a deal breaker for us? Okay. That made me have male menopause. Play that again, Kylie. Dr. Sean, this is Jason from Wisconsin. My partner and I have been dating for a while. They are now saying that they want children. Initially, we agreed about not having children. Do you think this will be a deal breaker for us? It can be. But that depends on how the two of you process disagreement. How it is you come to understand yourselves in the presence of information that doesn't make you happy. See, a lot of relationships start with one understanding and then they end up having another. And when you have a difference of opinion, which is a different position or foundation, you have to renegotiate the terms. You got to go back to where you started and decide that, you know, I want us to have a different, I want kids or I don't want kids. It can break the relationship if having kids means more than the relationship. But the two of you get to decide that. The two of you get to decide what, what is the ultimate value of being together. I'm hoping that the ultimate value of being together is rooted in the time you spend with each other, regardless of and, and, and with or without kids. But this is an opportunity for both of you to have a very serious conversation about what it is you believe or what you're willing to tolerate and put up with from each other going forward. I just wish you well. Be kind to each other in this kind of conversation, okay? Kindness matters. All right, let me do one more before I take this break. When my boyfriend, when I met my boyfriend, he told me that he had two children. After eight months of dating, he confessed to having twins with different women and said he rarely thinks or talks about them because they live in a different country. I don't know what to do or how to feel about this because I love him. Should I consider his behavior a relationship deal breaker? Well, you should consider it concerning because if someone has kids and they're not talking to their kids, why don't they manifest the love that they need for the kids that they brought into the world? I don't know if it's a deal breaker, but it is the opportunity for a real serious conversation that both of you need to have. Not just about the kids, but about why he is not in touch with his kids. What is it about him that's sort of, you know, a little sociopathic? Who doesn't want to talk to their kids, no matter where they are? That's what you should be concerned about. You follow me? For somebody who's not into their own children, probably won't be ultimately into you. If you're not into the people you brought into the world, you're not going to be into the person you met Tuesday. Okay? Have a discussion about why it is he's not gung-ho crazy in love with his kids. Good luck with that. Let's take a break. We'll be right back with more Ask Dr. Sean right after this. Hey, everybody. Let's do some more Ask Dr. Sean. Play the bumper, highly. So. Always amazing videos. This one is no less than that. Let's watch it. Hi, Dr. Sean. My name is Mar, and I need some advice. Someone I know keeps going back to an abusive relationship. Am I wrong to distance myself from them? Wow. Play that again. Not because I didn't hear it, because I want all of you to hear that question again. Play that again. Hi, Dr. Sean. My name is Mar, and I need some advice. Someone I know keeps going back to an abusive relationship. Am I wrong to distance myself from them? See, you can't control what other people do. And you can't always judge them because they're acting on information and behavior and patterns that make them susceptible to going back to abuse. What you can do is love somebody while they make a mistake. Because clearly this person is making a mistake, a mistake of what might be epic proportions. But you leaving them is probably not 
the thing you should be doing. You see, when people are messing up is when they need to be loved the most. Doesn't mean you have to co-sign what they're doing or either go into the situation with them, but I think you should find a way to let this person know that you still care, even if you don't want to participate, you know? So that when they get to the place and they come to the strength that they deserve and are able to mature out of the mess and the craziness, you can be someone that they turn to. That's what you should want to be. You should want to be someone that someone in trouble can turn to. You follow what I'm saying? Because God forbid you were in that situation, you would want somebody to still be there for you. Yeah, friends are hard to come by. Most people ain't your friend. They're your constituent. They're your colleague. Friends are hard to come by because a friend loveth at all times. A friend will love you when you are not worthy of the love that the friend has to offer. And so I know we live in a culture where people are trying to run away from each other at the very hint of something wrong. I submit to you that that's not what love does. Love does not always shine in the light, but it will glow in the dark every time. So let your love glow, even if from a distance. All right. Someone emailed me a question. Let's take a look at this. Play the bumper, Holly, though. Play the bumper. Play the bumper. Making sure Harley's paying attention. Here it is. I'm a lesbian. I'm engaged to be married. My mother is a minister at a Christian church. She supports me privately, but not publicly. I want her to officiate my wedding, but she refuses. How do I convince my mother to change her mind? Well, you can't convince your mother to change her mind. I mean, that's not going to happen. Your mom's not going to change her mind. And your mom has the right not to be comfortable. You see, I think we want people to do what we want them to do when we want them to do it, but the reality is you just need to move on and find someone else to do your wedding and let it be okay that that's not where she is. I just wouldn't waste my time trying to change, trying to force somebody to do something on the day that's important to me. If it's my wedding and I'm getting married, I don't want anybody there who doesn't want to be there. I certainly don't want anybody to officiate a wedding that's not proud or happy that I'm getting married. In fact, your mom might be doing you a favor. Keeping that energy out of your wedding might, do, might be the thing that makes your wedding amazing. You follow what I'm saying? So take a little time and, and really look at this from the broad perspective and understand that your mama's a, she's grown and she's on her own journey. Privately, she accepts you. Publicly, not yet. It won't always be that way. She might get to the place where she accepts you 100%. It just won't be by your wedding day. And that's okay. There are other people who can officiate your wedding. Get the fantasy out of your head that it has to be your mom, because it doesn't. It doesn't have to be your mother. It could be anybody. It could be a judge, any pastor. The most important thing is that you're getting married. And that you're getting married to someone who loves you and who will be there for you no matter what. That's the most important thing. Not who officiates the wedding. Most people don't even remember who I I've officiated hundreds of weddings and most of the people don't even remember that I did it. Because at the moment of the wedding, I wasn't the most important thing. Now, true, you couldn't get married without me, but I'm not the reason you're there. Remember that. God bless your mother. We, we wish her well on her journey to greater and fuller, fuller acceptance, but she, she stop giving her all this power. Your mom does not have to marry you. The only person that has to be there is the woman you're going to marry. As long as you got that, you got everything. That's true for a lot of these people. Sometimes we think that if, certain, if something doesn't happen the way we want it to happen, that it's not valid or it's not good. It's not true. Sometimes life doesn't conform to, to the fantasy we have in our head. Life, life's not interested in giving us wish fulfillment. But you can still have a wonderful day and a powerful life and an incredible relationship, even if it looks different than how you imagined it. So I say give your mom some grace. 
Give your mom some space. Give your mom whatever she needs, you know, to save face in her church. And you go on and get married and enjoy yourself. Because that's why we're here, right? For you to marry someone and to enjoy your life. And nothing about that wedding is going to stand in the way of you enjoying your life. Right? Right. So get married. Have a good time. Have a great reception. Shake your tail feather, people. Because when it's all said and done, it's just you and the person you're trying to love. And nothing else matters. Anyway. I want to thank Jason for being here tonight. I'm so happy he stopped by. I'm happy you stopped by too. I hope you learned something. People are on different journeys, heading in different directions, and sometimes you just got to respect people and let them be where they are. That's what I got from Jason tonight. And all of us need to just really chill out. Just chill out, people. Let people find their way to the light in a way that best suits them. People are not necessarily what we want them to be, when we want them to be it, but it doesn't matter. As long as you give people the space that they need to grow, people will surprise you and they will grow. And guess what? So will you. Because you weren't always as wonderful and as open as you are now. You had to grow into what you are to give people the same grace. Thank you for tuning in, man. I'll be back later on in the week. I can't wait to see you. With more Ask Dr. Sean, more headlines, and more amazing guests, and more you. You guys have an amazing rest of your day. Shine anyway, even in the darkness. Make sure your light is on. Y'all be good to each other. I love you. Your plans? Today it's dinner with the parents at your spot. We gotta come back here. Now, their spot. Or you're on the edge of your seat at the game. Come on, just one time. And it's the one. <laughs> or maybe you're catching the next flight to... Now boarding flight 1850. Oh, that's you. The choice is yours. And when you're with Amex, it's not if it's going to happen, but when. American Express. Don't live life without it. The Mazda lineup of SUVs will provide safety, performance, and capability on your journey ahead. From the three-row Mazda CX-9 to the first-ever Mazda CX-50, our sales team is ready to guide you to the SUV for your lifestyle. Shop the Omaha Metro's exclusive Mazda dealers at Woodhouse Mazda in Bellevue or Woodhouse Place Mazda. Visit us online for your next Mazda SUV at woodhousemazda.com.